This is the Unstoppable Yes You podcast, gifted with potential series. I'm your host, Curlis Phillip. In this series, we share personal stories of struggles and triumph as a source of inspiration for teens and young adults. Today, I'm speaking with Kemai John of Dominica. As a child, Kemai flaunted his natural Afro and embraced his Rastafarian upbringing. However, this was not something that was appreciated by his teachers and principal at school. Their draconian policing of his Afro hairstyle left Kemai feeling inadequate. In this episode, Kemai shares his story of overcoming hair stigma and bias and finding his way as a community servant and aspiring entrepreneur. Kemai, welcome. Hi, Kelis. How are you doing? I'm great. We're happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I'm actually very pleased to, to be on this um, podcast series. Kemai, you grew up in Fortney. How would you describe that community? Fortney has always been and still remains a pretty quiet community. Um, growing up in my younger days, the community was a lot more tight-knit because a lot of the persons who resided there were originally from the community, you know. But as time passed by, you found that a lot of persons migrated and you had new persons coming into the community that never really integrated, um, but still it remained a, a fairly decent community. Um, however, um, Newton, the community of Newton, that has always been my highway. And um, it's actually the community where my father came from. And that community has been a bit difficult in that you've had many cases of alcoholism. And that is from generation to generation, you know. Also, you you have a lot of cases of drug use, some few cases of prostitution. And then also you have had like a handful of murders over the years. So it has always been a decision. Yes, Newton is your highway. You have a love for Newton because it has produced um, the, the best football team on the island, that is Harlem. Also the, the, the top academy, football academy of the, on the island, that's the Newton Juvenile Football Academy. Um, likewise, the top carnival band of the island, that's the Thunderbirds band. But um, besides these this su- successful cases, it still remains a pretty difficult community. You call Newtown your highway. Is that because in order to get to Fortney, um, you have to pass through Newtown? Yes, that's exactly the reason. So um, coming from Roseau, that's the capital city, you go through Newtown and then you just go up the hill and you get to Fortney. It's understandable that some communities come with, you know, the good and the bad, um, which can sometimes positively and other times negatively impact those communities. Um, So as a child, um, you saw some of the bright side of your community as well as the dark side. Did you at any point in your childhood life fall prey to the dark side? Um, To an extent, it was more during my adolescent years. Because you know, at that time, it's a point. Of, it's a point within a young man's life where there's exploration and experimentation. So I had a short stint on the block, and it wasn't too too tragic or too violent. Um, but we, you found that myself, along with some of the other guys in the community, we would stay up late nights. We would drink. Um, sometimes we would use some cannabis. 
but it wasn't too it wasn't too too much of a block to see where there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of, of drug dealing. It wasn't that type of situation. However, there was this one case I, I recall that was very important for me because there's one of the guys um, who frequented the block. He he would always have his little stash, you know, selling. And one day, some of the guys decided that they wanted to take everything that he had without paying for it. And um, he had already left and they made their plan that they were going to, to go ahead and attack him and steal whatever he had. And along that, that journey, I said to myself, you know what, that isn't the road that I want to walk. So I passed the entrance to my parents' home, maybe after, what, 50 feet or so. And then I turned back and I said, you know what, Kemai, you better go back that direction. You better go back to the direction of your home. And um, it was a good decision for me, although at the time it came with a, a bit of embarrassment because I, I remember some of the guys um, who continued on, on that journey to, to steal the young man's stash. They actually wrote um, Wangs to Fuba on the public road, you know, and at the time that's what I was known by. And it was there every day I would go down, I would go down. The street and then I would see a big gangster fuba. And that was the time when um 50 cent song um gangster wangster came out. So that was a bit um that was a bit of, of a difficult moment, but still I, I'm pleased that I actually took that decision because today the, the same guys that that um stole the young man's stash and also they did give him a, a bit of a whooping. <laughs> but um today they have a lot more respect for me. Well, I'm glad that you had the foresight to cost correct and um, not go down that path. Um, so let's go back to um, your earlier childhood years. So at a very young age, you were scolded and chastised by your teachers and even your principal about your hair. What was the issue with your hair? Well, for me, I, I, I grew up in the, in the Rastafarian faith. My dad has been a Rastaman from even before I was conceived. So embracing your African identity, that was always part of, of, of my upbringing. Um, but apparently that wasn't, that wasn't um, appreciated by, by the school system, the school that I went to. So I recall on one occasion during, during the General Assembly in primary school that the principal shouted out like, and pointed at me, yeah? that you need to get that silly mattress off your head. And I was like, what? You know when you hit a low and then you feel like a rock just hits you? That's the feeling that I had. It was, it was difficult. It was difficult. And then um, to make matters worse, I remember after the, that, that the General Assembly on the same day, there were like several teachers surrounded me and, and told me of the need to cut my hair and trying to put pressure on me to cut my hair. So it was difficult. I mean, like no young person should have to go through that because your year is, is a natural part of you. You're 100% correct. I mean, what you endured isn't uh, uncommon, though. I mean, students of African-American um, heritage or just African heritage in general are still dealing with hair discrimination in 2020. I believe it was earlier this year, I read a, a few articles about Black students that were 
either suspended from school um, because of um, dreadlocks. I believe that case was in Texas. Another was um, told he couldn't walk um, at his graduation unless he cut his hair. And then there was, I think, an 11-year-old girl in New Orleans. She was asked to actually leave her classroom because of her braided hair extensions. They felt that it violated school policy. Um, And I agree with you that no student should have to um, feel, um, you know, ostracized because of their hair, which is essentially their crown. So in high school, you were selected as a prefect and your teacher refused to let you take on that role. For people who are not familiar with the British school system, explain the role of a prefect and why you were chosen. Basically, a prefect is is an exemplary student, okay? Someone who is punctual, someone who has respect for the the authority of the school, um, someone who also participates in school activities and also who does reasonably well academically. Okay, and um, these are some of the traits that are identified within a student for being chosen as a prefect. Okay, and um, I recall when I was in fourth form that I was actually selected and I returned to to the classroom and told my teacher at the time, I can't remember which teacher it was, though, I told the teacher that yes, um, I was chosen for to be a prefect and that I needed to report to the principal's office. And then she she actually refused to allow me to go. She refused. But um, I, I don't know why I didn't still react to, to it or respond to that situation. Um, it could be because within that same school system uh, a few years earlier that I also experienced a, a similar situation to which I experienced while I was in primary school, whereby during the General Assembly that the principal of my high school also called me out during the General Assembly and told me that I needed to get that silly mattress off my head, referring to my Afro. So when I reflect on them, they make me realize that teacher bullying was present and maybe still is present within the education system of Dominica, although I never realized that it existed. How did that experience um, with your prefect responsibility essentially being taken away from you because they probably felt you didn't deserve it, um, coupled with this constant ridicule about your hair make you feel? You know, all of it, it kind of makes you lose self-worth. You start to feel like um, you're not worthy, you know? You lose self-confidence, you, you lose your self-esteem, you begin to walk with your head down. So it's, it's almost to say, like, um, why me? Why am I being ridiculed? Why are persons not believing in me, you know? So as, as a young person, especially when you're going through your teenage years, that type of bullying, wow, it can be very traumatic. How did you deal with those feelings of self-doubt and inadequacy? Okay, well, luckily for me, I, I realized that um, I cannot escape my identity. I cannot escape my, my heritage. So I started to, to delve deeper into it. I started to, 
to read up more about um, African leaders. I started to read up more about Pan-African leaders, Marcus Garvey, um, Haile Selassie. I actually started to delve into, into the teachings of His Imperial Majesty. Um, I still do today. So that assisted, assisted me greatly in starting to accept my identity and then also to, to accept and envision a future for myself. And then in doing so, I also started to, to participate in the activities of the Youth Development Division. And, and the Youth Development Division, honestly, have assisted me greatly in developing my self-confidence, in developing um, a future vision, a pathway for myself. I mean, I've had mentors like Mr. John Roach, Ms. Arian Remy, Mrs. Matilda Popo, and, and several other facilitators, facilitators at the Youth Development Division that have really assisted me and, and also many other youths in, in Dominica to actually envision a future for themselves. That's great that you were able to redirect your energy and focus on really taking steps to build your self-worth and self-esteem. And it's really unfortunate that you had to deal with teacher bullying in an environment where you're supposed to feel safe and protected. And even far worse, in a country that's made up of people that are predominantly of African heritage and culture. Um, so your first job after graduating high school was at the Dominica Air and Seaport Authority. Tell me about your role there. Okay, well, it was actually very interesting for me, huh? because I, I recall um, when I when I first started, I was like, "What? I did I I did reasonably well at high school, and now I'm just being um, selected to be a security officer." Because like persons, persons on the island, they have that stigma about security officers, you know. And um, when I got there, it was what it was in two thousand and one, and just a, just a little a little time after, I believe, we had nine eleven. So with the passing of nine eleven, the entire security department had to be remodernized. It had to be remodeled because you had the International Ship and Port Facility Security Code to be implemented, um, whereby you are, the, the port was supposed to operate on a level that is, as regards to its security, that would allow international ships to continue coming to the island. Um, these, are, these are all on the, the, the conventions of the International Maritime Organization and Safety of Sea at Life. So... When I started, I started as a as a junior security officer, um, but I, I took I took the work seriously, and as the ISPS code was being implemented, there also came with it opportunities to to advance. So I recall being trained um, as a dive master, a certified party dive master. And becoming the, the lead, the lead dam diver, dive master within the security department. So I would go on different security sweeps along with personnel from various cruise ships, sometimes one, two occasions also with um, the, the Coast Guard. Um, also, in terms of doing the scanning of bags and different containers, I learned these techniques. 
um, also the operation of the CCTV units. And most importantly, I was given the opportunity to, to train recruits coming into the security department. And um, I, I really have to say thank you to, to my, my then mentor, Mr. Eric Charles, because um, he has been a great inspiration. And also he had the foresight to realize that he is an older person within the system and it is important to train those that are younger than him. So in terms of, of that vision of his, he was a, a great leader. He was a great leader and he really assisted me with it, to grow within that department, within my first job. Throughout your early years in Dominica, you also served as a community servant and, and leader, if you will. What, what were some of the things that you did to positively impact the youth in your community? Um, well, one, one, of, one of the things that, that comes to mind is my role as a mentor with the Camp, Camp Rescue Londonderry. And while I worked at the port, I, I volunteered to mentor two young men from the community of Foncole that is uh, near to the Deepwater Harbor or Dasper where I worked. And um, one of the things that, I, that really makes me smile, even as I speak about it, is one of the mentors, you know, after returning, after returning to Dominica, after several years, I came across him and I was like, man, my brother, how you doing? What you been up to? And he says like, oh, I don't see long I haven't seen you, man. I always thinking about you, you know. And then he told me like, you know, I have a son now and his name is Kemai. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, man, I named my son after you because I remember those little tips that you used to give me. I remember all those, that strength that you used to give me. And I can never forget it and I to give the same thing to my son, you know. So um, when, I, when, I, when I recall that situation and every time I think of it, I feel like, you know, when you, when you can impact another person's life, ah, man, it's like so rewarding. Um, besides that, uh, I, I also did a lot of work in my own community that is um, in Fortney. I, I recall for the Youth Development Division itself, I, I did a, a leadership course, a leadership training. And um, at the end of that training, I established the Fortney Improvement Committee. Um, it became a, a registered community organization of the local government division. And um, through, through the Fortnite Improvement Committee, we have been able to carry out several community infrastructural projects. Also, in times of disaster, the Fortnite Improvement Committee plays a strategic role in terms of the distribution of relief supplies and in terms of data collection, in terms of assisting persons, um, the elderly, of course, the younger persons, and then just the community in general. So that is um that is a a, a hallmark, <laughs> so to speak, within the community that I'm very pleased with. That's awesome. Um, so later on, in about 2008, you were awarded a government scholarship to pursue your bachelor's degree. What school did you attend, and what did you study? I I attended the University of International. Business and Economics in Beijing, China. Uh, my first year, I studied Chinese, intensive Chinese. So just imagine you have to go to, through a regime whereby every day 
for like several months, all you do is study Chinese. <laughs> you learn to speak Chinese, you learn to read Chinese, you learn to write Chinese. Uh, I mean, it was intense, but it was a very great, <laughs> it was a very great moment because then you could go and you could interact with all the local persons. And uh, while at university, I, I made it a point of duty for me to be a very social and active student. Uh, for me, a lot of the things that I learned not only came from the classrooms or came from textbooks, but it came from my interaction with, with different people from different cultures. Because within the university setting, we had at least 70 different nationalities. So just imagine the, the, the melting pot that is there. It sounds like you had a, a very rich college experience. And so after you received your bachelor's degree in business management, you decided to go straight away and pursue a master's degree in rural development and management at the China Agricultural University. What led you to the decision to pursue a master's degree in the agricultural field? Dominica, likewise, many of the islands in the Caribbean and many many countries in Africa, many countries where, where there are persons of the African diaspora, we have an issue. And our issue is that we continue to, to be the, the, the suppliers of raw material. So for me, the diving into rural development and management was actually a, a way to, one, to study the dynamics of the rural communities, to identify the resources and the different approaches that we could actually use to transform the rural communities into hubs of, of development, okay? Into hubs of value addition, not only for our own consumption, but also for the exportation within ourselves and further afield. Coming from a country like Dominica, I mean, it completely makes sense. Um, you've had such a remarkable journey thus far, and you've, you've done great work to uplift the young people in your community. You've taken steps to further yourself professionally. What lessons have you learned along the way? Life is a journey that you have to live. You will make mistakes along the way. You will fail along the way. But then every time you fail, every time you make a mistake, you learn. And then when you learn, you continue to grow. As you reflect on your life, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, wow. I, I tend not to have regrets. I tend not to have regrets because every experience that I've had, I've learned from it. But for me, at a younger age, I would have become more financially literate. I would have learned the, the dealings of money, how to let money work for itself, as compared to just the accumulation of money and having it sit in the banks. So that would be one of the things, one of the main things that I would, uh, I would have um, prioritized. Um, also, I would have found a, a, a better balance where, where I am more loyal to myself as being loyal to my community and loyal to others. And what's next for you? I'm actually working on, on developing my, my own model of, uh, of teaching <laughs> or my own approach to teaching, you know, 
because uh, according to the education system, um, there are certain aspects of it that are superb. There are certain aspects that need a, a complete overhaul. So I've identified my own approach that I've been using throughout to interact with youth. So I would like to, to continue to, to take it on a, a level where I can actually grow with it and um, become a, a financially successful social entrepreneur. I have no doubt you'll achieve what you set your mind to. Just stay focused and every day take steps, no matter how big or small, towards accomplishing your goals. And with that, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners. Thanks, um, Curlis, for having me. It's been an honor interacting with you. And um, you're also doing great things. So I just pray that you continue to, to inspire others and to give others the opportunity to voice their experiences um, so that they themselves can impact other lives. Thank you. And to our audience, thanks for listening. This is the final episode of the Gifted with Potential series. To receive new Unstoppable Yes You series directly in your inbox, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting our website at www.unstoppableyesu.com. Don't forget to join the Unstoppable Yes You community on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.